Welcome back to the Rufus Rundown. Today we have a soccer or football related podcast coming at football. you. What we're going to call it football. Uh, I welcome in Andrew DeMello. Um, Andrew featured on a podcast that I had earlier, but I had issues trying to you know edit it and export the file and everything. It turned messy. So we lost a lot of good content there, but Andrew's back. He's ready to go. I'm happy to have him. I know he's happy to be here. So Andrew, say what's up to the people. How are we doing, everybody? So that's the mellow. Um, we're going to get into – obviously, the Bundesliga is back. So, I mean, a lot of football fans around the world are all happy. I think the Bundesliga ratings just like within that one day on Fox Sports. So I think it was like – I saw it, they increased by 700%. It was something ridiculous. Like it was like their TV ratings. I mean, to say that they were higher or to say that they even like ballooned or anything I think would be an understatement. I mean, I think it was just astronomical. Nothing that you could normally like see those numbers grow in a sense of like there's no normal events that are going to allow it to happen other than, you know, COVID-19 and the pandemic doing it. So yeah. I, it felt amazing for me to be able to watch like this live sports in general. I know I ordered the Gaethje fight, uh, Gaethje Ferguson. I watched that. I watched some of the other UFC fights and stuff. Um, they had the golf match today, but for me, like soccer coming back, especially being like secondhandly, like a Dortmund fan, I love Liverpool, but like Dortmund's like the other team that I really like the sport in Germany. Yeah. So it felt amazing for me. I, I, I don't know how it felt for you. I mean, like you had mentioned the thing about the fans, but how'd you feel about it? Um, you know, like, you know, being a big sports, you know, being big sports guys like we are, you know, we're always itching to watch a lot of sports and, you know, we love, you know, soccer or football, however you want to call it. So like, you know, I watched a little bit of the game today. I think I watched probably like 85% of the game. I think I started the game like the 35th minute, but, you know, seeing like, you know, going back and seeing the quality of football that, uh, that Bayern plays, was just incredible. Like I was talking to uh, Garcia while we were watching, like, the way Goretzka was, you know, working the midfield with Kimmich was pretty pretty amazing, honestly. And watch Alfonso Davies, you know, that young left back that can, you know, be a winger. You know, kind of kicking yourself because, you know, he's Canadian and, like, you know, what's he going to do for Canada where, where, you know, he can help out the United States with all the great players we have. So, but it was really good to see, you know, uh, Bayern are still that great team and it's going to be hard uh, for, you know, Dortmund to catch up to them. Even, I think they're, like, what, two points back right now or three? I think Bayern's four points clear at the top now, or they were. Yeah, like last year, you know, I'm a dormant fan because, you know, I just, like, I don't really like how Bayern kind of buys the league, but they have great players, so, like, I like watching them play. But, um, you know, I know Dortmund was close last year at a point. They kind of let, let it slip a little bit. But, um, you know, Dortmund has a great team this year, you know, with uh, Holland Bursa on the scene. You know, like you said earlier, Julian Brandt had a great game today. He's a young player that they just bought from Leverkusen. So, um, it'll be time that time will tell if uh, you know, Dorman will catch up, but uh, I still think Bayern will probably win it, unfortunately. But. So, obviously, like social distancing like measures are still in place. Uh, I know the the Hertza game, uh, Mateus Cunha scored that third goal, which was great. He did like a little, um, he broke away with a spin, I think it was a nutmeg, it was, I know it was a spin away from the sideline, took it all the way in the inside, and blasted by the keeper, far side of the post from him, uh, cutting in from the left. And they, like, one guy jumped in his back, which, again, they, there, there's no shaking hands. They, like, kick each other's feet. There's like, kicking feet. Uh, when all the players are separated on the bench, wearing masks and stuff like that and gloves. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they come off, they have the trainers. They have, like, set up, like, the water bottles literally in the formation they're playing with, like, on the bench, have everything denoted. They're handing it off. The second they come off the pitch, 
Um, they'll hand over the mask when they're going on, and then they'll be handed a mask when they're coming off the pitch and are still separated, which kind of, for me, makes not a lot of sense because you're going out there and you're sweating against other people anyways. As long yeah. as you're all quarantined together, I think it, does, it doesn't make a difference. I mean, I'm no doctor. I'm not fallacy or anything. But, I mean, I don't think – I don't really genuinely think that makes any difference. But um, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact, too, that they're going to show people that they're doing that. So, it, you know, drives more people around the world to say, like, hey, if mm-hmm. these athletes are doing it, like, we're going to do it. Kind of just kind of try and have it rub off on them. And speaking of fans, there were no fans. So you can hear a lot of what – I mean, not that you can make a lot of it because not a lot of it's English, although mm-hmm. Nagelsmann does, you know, speak pretty good English. But, I mean, a lot of it is in between English, German, French – whatever they speak, it's always a combo of languages and how the coaches get across. Yeah. How do you feel about it with no fans? It was interesting. You know, like I said, like, you know, um, you know, trying to like watch a game where you can kind of hear what everyone's saying, the communication. But like I said, I can't speak German or French. So like, it's, it's tough to, you know, understand what's going on, but it's kind of cool to see the, like, like the communication that the, you know, the players have and like this constantly yelling and screaming, like, you know, when we watch soccer or football, you know, we watch, we don't really hear anything because the stadium's so loud with the fans. And, you know, they're constantly communicating. That's why I love the game so much because it's, it's a team sport. You got to always be communicating, you know, to make sure that you guys are successful. We, we're we fans of, you're fans of United. I'm a fan of yeah. Liverpool. We both appreciate Dortmund. Some of the yeah. biggest, if not the biggest fans, like fan groups in the world, the most passionate yeah. and dedicated fans. I mean, Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. you guys went after your sporting director with flares and went at his house. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. Anfield's one of the probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, home field advantage in all of world football. And mm-hmm. if it isn't, if it isn't, if it isn't Anfield, uh, you don't have to look any further than Dortmund with the yellow wall either. Yeah. So to not have those, you know, have that environment, have the energy, have that energy around them for the players, you know, it's gonna make it. I'm not. Gonna, it's just not gonna make it harder in the away teams. I don't think it makes it any. I guess if it doesn't make it any any easier for players to come away away, but it certainly doesn't make it any tougher now and you don't have that energy in there. But mm-hmm. I'm gonna take it however I can get it. Yeah. You know, any of these lab sports, especially the Bundesliga too, because I think behind, I think the Premier League is hands down the best league in the world. Mm-hmm. But Absolutely. the Bundes, the Bundesliga is two for me. I mean, I, I don't know what you what your thoughts are on that, but I think the Bundesliga certainly in terms of talent is number two right behind um the BPL. Yeah, like I said and we were talking about this earlier, like, you know, you look at the Italian league, you know, Juventus is always at the top. Um, look at the French league, you know, PSG is always at the top. And even the German league, Bayern's at the top. But, like, I got to give Bayern credit. They have the some of the best sporting directors and scouts in the world. You look at all the transfers they have done, and they get they get a lot of great players for cheap. And you make some some players they get, you might, they're not really big names, but they make these guys big names. And I got to give them credit to that. But, you know, last year the league was competitive. You know, Leipzig over the past couple of years has burst onto the scene. Um, you know, Nagelsmann's a really good coach. And, you know, Werner's been a really good player. He's kind of been, you know, probably that guy that, you know, is going to get that big move to either Bayern or even Liverpool. And, you know, Dorman's been always been that, that team that's always been, you know, you had that rivalry with uh, Bayern and like some of their best players, you know, leave Dorman to go to Bayern because it's, you know, better stadium. Well, you could argue it's a better stadium. They're get, probably getting more money, more brand exposure, and they're winning more. So I kind of like the rivalry between them. But, like, overall, like, I'm really excited that Dorman's, you know, getting better and better because I like Dorman a lot. And I, I, I hate when, you know, teams are so rich and they buy the league. Like, that's why I love the Premier League so much because 
you have your rich clubs in like you know United and City are probably the richest two of the richest in the league, but you don't see all these teams spending all that money. You know, it's it's really the teams like, for example, Man United. You know, I think we're you know we're one of the top three richest clubs in the world, and we're horrible with transfers. You know, last last year we've been pretty good, but we should be hiring the best scouts in the world, hire, having the best director of football in the world to be considered the best team in the world, but we're not, and it's frustrating. But like I said. Uh, I do think Bundesliga is second most competitive because it's fun to watch. So a lot of young players make their name in the Bundesliga, and you can go back and look at all the great players today that you know they're either in Spain or England now, but they all started. A lot of them started when they were uh, in Germany. So yeah, a lot a lot of the good Bundesliga players have been uh, been pulled to the the BPL. Yeah, you notice a lot of players that have started either in the Bundesliga, the O-Bundesliga uh, um, in Austria, or the Swagia, the Bundesliga, or Bundesliga 2. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of players either grow there, they're loaned out there, uh, they they get sold there. You got to think of Kevin De Bruyne. Um, yeah. You got to think of uh, like Andre Scherla, players like that um, that were there, came to the PL, made, made some moves in the PL, or grew there, certain players like that, because, I mean, that's where De Bruyne really grew into. Yeah, his own. So mm-hmm. I, San and Sancho's bound to come over. Kai Havertz, I think, is bound to come over to the Premier League as well. I'm hoping. Um, I think. Holland, what team though? Havertz. I don't know. I I I think, I think Havertz is probably going to end up being United. I think I think you guys genuinely have the chance to pull off Havertz and Sancho in the same window. I I haven't really heard a lot of Havertz links, but I mean, I would love Havertz, but. We have Bruno probably playing that ten role, but I I, I wouldn't mind Bruno in that six. But if that if we're getting Havertz, I mean it's kind of bound we're gonna sell Pogba. But like reports now are saying that Pogba is gonna stay, and you know me, I I love Pogba. Pogba's the reason why I, you know kind of became a football fan as as much as I am right now as a fair player. But you know no team wants to pay his wages, and Man United you know we want a lot of money for him, and no team has that money right now, especially with COVID nineteen. So um, I love Havertz, but Sancho, I want Sancho so bad, but right now it's hearing that reports are off, so I'm a little little upset, but we'll see. I, I think one thing that's really interesting now with world football is that with how money and everything is going to go with COVID-19, especially after the fact, um, I think, you know how in FIFA you do you can do the FIFA, like the player swap deals. And we've seen recently with the Juan Cancelo deal with Danilo, and the player yeah. swaps with player strange, and cash. I think I think a lot more are going to come of block, not maybe blockbuster style. It's not going to be these big um, like trades that the MLB makes or the NBA makes, like blockbuster deals. But I think there's genuinely going to be like you already have links now to um, Semedo. I think I think it's just Semedo and then or uh, Pjanic and um, the Shigley. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then so, I heard I heard Rakitic was part of the deal too, which I wouldn't be surprised because now Rakitic wants out. I heard Pjanic hasn't really been good for Avengers. So, like, maybe a center mid swap would be ideal. But I don't think Rakitic gets in that team at all. I think he's on a decline. But. Yeah, I was I was trying to work out exactly because, like, I was saying it back to myself. There, it just wasn't making sense in my head. I'm like, why is Deshiglio and Pjanic going just for strictly Semedo? I don't think he's that good. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I think that's going to be one interesting thing. It's going to be a video that I do on its own breaking down how you might see like world football kind of start to do blockbuster style trades, especially after COVID-19 because teams don't have a certain, like a lot of money. So you might see, um, you might see like a team, like, I don't know, like say a Brighton or, or a league two team, you might see them. It's going to be mm-hmm. tough. Though. I mean, players are going to take any money they can because you know, they're going without pay now. Some of them, some are still getting paid the contracts. I, I'm sure. But 
say like a league two team that, you know, is breaking on the up and is about to get promoted and yeah. their best player is like 23 years old in their prime team wants them, but they don't want to just take the money in and rebuild. So mm. say, say, say for example, I don't know, uh, you'd Belling, Bellingham, let's say you Bellingham's in his prime. We'll use you Bellingham as the example. Yeah. Okay. And he's coming up. He's a prime player. He's 23 years old. And, you know, Greenwood's still 19 for you guys. Yeah. They don't – they're not just going to take all that money for Bellingham because, you know, they're still trying to break even. So Exactly. They might – so so, but they're breaking even with the way they're playing and they're still going to be able to build money. But they're not going to take that money in because they're going to have to still disperse it and they're not going to be able to buy players with that money. So what they might do is they might take $10 million and Greenwood. They might – or they might or they might take Greenwood right. – in Lingard, I'm not, I mean, you know, what I'm saying like I'm not going to say yeah, value yeah, of players, no. but they might take a young player like uh, or a player like Lingard with his wages off their hands, or Man United might eat a chunk of their wages and stuff. It's going to be, I think, it could be very similar to the way we do it over here over the pond with yeah. a lot of deals in our sports, which I think will be very interesting and very cool for that culture kind of to merge together in a way to kind of combat how everything's gone crazy with COVID nineteen. So, like I said, the social distancing and everything was in place. I so a lot of the leagues now, um, they're gonna. It's obviously it's gonna relate to I think U.S. sports and stuff. I think this is. I think it's great for everybody and for all sports because they're gonna be all of them are gonna be to, you know, understand how how is how is Germany doing this? How is the Bundesliga doing all this, handling this business, and you know, making it work and keeping it safe for everybody? Once you know, the more, you know, of these services of these teams of these leagues sports you know, being able to commit to it and commit to plans and keeping everybody safe, the more likely we are going to be able to see a lot more sports, you know, open the doors and restart again. And I'm thinking eventually by September, they've even said like, maybe you don't sell all of your tickets, you sell 30 or tickets and you're able to safely disperse people throughout the stadium and stuff. There's going to be plenty of ways I think they're able to do it. But right now, obviously the main focus is just keeping everybody as safe as possible. You know, Charlie Baker will be talking about it tomorrow. So probably after or around the time when this podcast drops, but the MLS is expected back at the earliest, June 8th. Um, some states have already opened up to sports in the U.S. Uh, La Liga back June 20th. And the BPL, of course, is back on June 12th, which for me is huge. Because, I yeah, mean – Especially for you, yeah. Um, I, I want to see not only I – mean, and, and, and they're not playing at neutral sites too. So even if there aren't any fans there, we're still going to get to see the Hendo shuffle at Anfield. So I'm pretty happy about that. Um, I don't know how they're going to pull off the Champions League, and I'm not sure if they will they can really pull off the champions league yeah well, um, which is a shame mm-hmm. but if we can still get some of these leagues finished up that's going to be a huge a huge plus mm-hmm. yeah so one of the things for me that i didn't miss much with football coming back is var <laughs> um and it appeared in three different games so the freiburg game was 1-1 late with leipzig which by the way leipzig absolutely dominated um, but still like, like Freiburg, I, I, I'm referring to the term as FIFA them because you, I think they controlled 61% of the possession. I'll look up the stats right now. Um, yeah. Leipzig had 61% possession, 19 shots, nine on target. Freiburg had four shots, two on target and 39% possession. So we'll leave it at that there. <laughs> and, um, Freiburg were able to they had the most flukiest goal early. Yusuf Poulsen came back with a header late, like around the 80th minute mark. Yeah, got him back equal. Then in the 90th minute, Freiburg had actually really well like orchestrated like free kick. Header came back into the middle. 
Uh, guy finished it off, put it home. Arguably, offsides, onsides, it was a tough call. It was close. It wasn't clear cut, which, again, it's supposed to be clear cut for me. I mean, for VAR, if you could, it's like every other sport. You can find something wrong with every play at, at any specific given time. Was it a clear – was it clearly the wrong call? And, again, the same thing happened against Bayern. Um, that Mueller goal should have counted right off the bat. It didn't affect the game for them because it was against Union Berlin. But another exactly. big game – and another big game against, like, say, a Dortmund or, say, a Wolfsburg or, or mm -hmm. Bayer Leverkusen, that's going to play a bigger part. And I still think VAR is something that needs to be fixed in world football as a whole. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. So, like, I, I like the whole idea of VR. Like, I, I think what um, Europe – like, the well, the, the football community with VR needs to adapt how the Americans use technology in their sports in terms of reviewing calls or whatever. For example, like, VAR is great. You know, you should never – you should win the right way and you should lose the right way. So, but I just think it takes way too long for them to make calls. And they make calls on some of the silliest things. I really don't – I think they need to – realizes that they should only be making calls on goals and not whether someone really got fouled or not. I don't know. That's just me. Like, well, it, should, it, sh it shouldn't be left up to interpretation. It's the same thing I see in the NFL. I was like, you, you can't have yeah. flags on uh, pass interference. You can't, I mean, you can't, have, you can't review pass interference. Did he, did he exactly. Interfere yeah. Or did he not interfere? There's, there's set, you know, step – like it's, it's almost like, like the fox and whisker plot thing. Like, yes, proceed to here. No. All right, that's it. Leave it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the way I see it. And a lot of the stuff they're reviewing in soccer, I mean, it takes so long because they're going back eight minutes. I remember when um, against Liverpool, when Origi was fouled, like in the buildup and went all the way back and, and Man United, you know, they drew that game. And everybody from Liverpool was up in arms about it. First of all, Origi flopped with that one. He didn't even grab the right leg. It wasn't even that bad of a foul. I don't even know if I'd call it a foul. And even if it was a foul, it had nothing to do with the buildup of that play or anything at all. That goal is getting yeah. scored regardless whether he's fouled or not. And it was, they were actually looking at that. Now the Trent handball and that all another thing. I don't think it was. I don't think it was a handball on Trent, but that's mm -hmm. another story. But for me, the specific, the specific one to look at is Origi. There is no way, shape, or form that should be getting looked at in that moment for that goal, and yet it slowed down the game to a screeching halt, which mm -hmm. has got to be frustrating for you guys because it gives us even more momentum. And then yeah. the call does nothing even happens with the call. Just waste time. So, say we're catching momentum at the end of the first half, and we, we get like three or four extra added minutes of injury time or five minutes of injury time. We score another goal in those five minutes. You're, you should be pissed because you know where that came from? That came from a call that didn't even, you know, really need to be looked at. So I, I, I think you're absolutely right with that. They need to look into it in the sense of how we look at it. And even we're kind of screwed up with it at times, like I said, maybe the NFL. But, you know, the NBA looks at it. Did he get the shot off in time? Did it come out of his hand? Like the frame-by-frame yeah. frame picture, stuff like that. Hey, was the guy on or offsides? And not like this fingertip armpit stuff with the Firmino Yeah, goal. see, that's the stuff I can't, I can't take that either. Like, if, if he's off by a, a centimeter, give the goal. Like, it's at, like at, if it's a drastic difference, if he's, if he's offsides by maybe his leg, absolutely no well, goal. Because he has a step advantage, you know? That, that's, yeah. the whole, that's the whole point. Or if, if he has, like, an arm in front of him and he's leaning, and you know, like, if, it, if yeah. it impacts the goal – but if the guy's fingertips in front of him, the ball's at his foot anyways, and it's a tap in a it's 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 a freaking tramp goal. What difference does yeah. it make? His finger wasn't him. The guy, if a guy had a finger advantage, it ain't gonna do anything for him. And so, also with the BPL, when you know you're watching, you know I watch every Saturday and Sunday, obviously, and you know you see these VAR, VAR call um, like overviews, and you're watching them like draw the lines between where the defender is and the offsides line, and like it looks kind of crooked almost. It doesn't even look like it's fully straight like they got the geometry wrong and it's like you can't be doing that this is that's why the system is so flawed because they're just 
they're doing it so poorly and it's just taking the joy out of the game. I think it's a great thing to add because, like I said, for example, when Man City scored the goal against Tottenham, um, to, uh, was it, yeah, last year, and Sterling scored, he was off sides. But, like, you wouldn't recognize that when you're really watching the game because, you know, you're so intense. I, I guess, it, yeah, it does take away the momentum and, like, joy of the game. But, like, if I found out five years later that that goal was shouldn't have been called, I would have been a little upset. You know, it's just like it's little things. I just think they need to touch it up, perfect it, and I don't think anybody will have a problem with it. Well, that. I mean, also, well, sorry, sorry. Like, also, and also, they need to show the replay so the whole entire stadium can see. That's an also a problem with. Uh, that's something they do over here, at least at least in the yeah, NFL and stuff exactly, too. They, yeah. they, they, you can see it just right beforehand and stuff. Um, even before replay review was a thing. Yeah. Um, my my and another thing with like the the VR and stuff like 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 you said it should be clear enough, but like the hand of God goal. Yeah, it never would have happened. It never would have happened. Like that's like a that's a huge like just moment that I, I who knows how that wasn't called, but they couldn't go back to change that call. So for me, yeah. VAR is necessary. Uh, the idea of VAR is fantastic, mm-hmm. um, but the execution of it right now is just not even close to where it needs to be. Is is not matching up with you know any of the level of the play, uh, what those leagues are. For any for, for the world football community as a whole, it does not match up with the ability that we that it has as a whole for what it produces. It doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't match up at all. So we had touched on you know, a couple of young players um, in the Bundesliga. One of my big things that I'm really enjoying with the Bundesliga, and I think it should be impressive, and it should be it should be able to bring some Americans in that maybe not are big fans of the sport of, of football, um, world football, soccer. Um, for fans that maybe Americans that are on the fence about it or want something to watch, it's, they have Americans to watch over here in the Bundesliga. Uh, Zach Steffen's in the Bundesliga too. Josh Sargent's playing tomorrow for Werder Bremen, Monday 2.30, against Kai Havertz and Leverkusen. Um, they also have John Brooks playing for Wolfsburg. Tyler Adams plays for Leipzig. He can play center back. He can play DM. He can play wing back. Uh, Weston McKenney's one of the probably one of the better players on the U.S. national team. Um, is a great box to box just this you know engine of a midfielder um christian pulisic made his name at borussia dortmund now at chelsea uh giovanni reina was set to make his first start until he picked up that last second injury guys like 16 17 years old um and of course my my personal favorite he's not in the bundesliga has links to the bundesliga um is serginio dest who i think has the most potential as the highest ceiling out of anybody in that u.s national team uh what are your thoughts on the young americans over in the bundesliga um you know, seeing the young Americans excel is, you know, awesome, especially overseas. You know, like, I'm not really a big fan of the MLS. Like, I don't really like how they do – now they don't do promotion relegation. I just think that takes away the whole competitiveness competitiveness of the game. But, like, you know, seeing these young kids who are 19 and, you know, 19, 17, 20, early 20s, you know, ex- exploding on one of the bigger scenes in European football, like, that's great to see. Like, I will always root for you, you know. Like, I – as a, you know, a United States fan, sometimes also Portugal, but like, you know, seeing United States in that World Cup and, you know, we had a pretty good run for what we had, you know, seeing all this potential that we have coming up, it's kind of, it's making me really excited for the future. I just want to make sure we execute it right. And we, the players, you know, they stay fit. They don't pick up injuries and they you know they keep performing to the highest of their abilities. So make sure we get a good run. I think that's one of the problems. I think um, injuries have been a little bit of a problem. They haven't really been able to consistently get a healthy team together for these qualifiers. Yeah. What really screams out to me is the fact of how young these guys are, 20, 21, 
they're going to hit their primes 26, 27, 28, right when 2026 comes around. And it just so happens that that World Cup is going to be in America. Um, I'm not saying we're going to win the thing, but with the potential that we have with these kids here um, between Dest, like I said, McKenney, Adams, Timothy Weah, John Brooks will be gone by then, but Zach Steffen, all these guys are going to be in their prime. Like Zach Steffen set to be the Man City number two next year. Like I said, yep. Pulisic's going to be a very, very consistent producer, I think, for Chelsea next year because he even was fantastic when he was healthy this year. Um, Dest is possibly going to make a move to Tottenham, to Bayern, uh, or to Barcelona. If Hakimi isn't moved, per- depending on what you know, Real do with Hakimi between them and Dortmund, I would love to see Serginho Dest at uh, Borussia Dortmund in that wingback role. Uh, what are yep. your thoughts on that? Um, so me and Jake were actually talking about this the other day. Shout out, Jake, if you're watching. But, uh, like, we were talking about how, like, Real Madrid's kind of been declining, you know, since the Danes came back, Ronaldo's been leaving. And, like, you know, we were talking about how, you know, Carvajal's kind of been on that decline and same with Marcelo. So, and Hakimi's been one of the best right backs in the world probably this year. And, you know, they're, they're going to get him back. And, you know, Serginho Dest can learn a lot from the young players at Dortmund. You know, Pulisic could probably, you know, reach out to him, you know, tell him the ins and outs of how to, you know, how to be successful there. And I think the Bundesliga is a great, you know, it's a great, it's like a, it's like a young factory for, you know, young football players to excel. So I would love to see him at Dortmund. I think him to go to Barcelona is a little too – I think he's too young right now, a little too early. Take that jump from the Dutch league right to La Liga. Um, I mean, I don't know. That's just me. But I think the perfect move for him would be right to go to Dortmund. Yeah, I, I, I think the perfect move would be Dortmund too. The, I mean, I guess um, – I mean, De Jong made the jump too. But Sergio Dest, I mean, as good as he is, he's not Frankie De Jong. Yeah, no. And you had mentioned Alfonso Davies before. I think Alfonso Davies is a fantastic left back. Uh, yeah. Herbing Lozano obviously plays for Napoli now, but he started off in the Dutch league with PSV as well. Yeah. Um, Davies being Canadian, all these young Americans, you know, making a name for themselves overseas. And then Lozano obviously being from Mexico. One thing that I've always wanted is a North American Super League. Why can't Mexico, the U.S., and Canada have, you know, a combined league with relegation? It, it for me, it just doesn't make any – I feel like the, the, um, the amount of the productivity, the product, would be way more marketable. I think, You're honestly right. Well, I, I didn't really think about that, honestly. That's the, actually a really good idea. Man. The level of play, if you combine between Mexico, um, Canada, and the U.S., you have so much more talent over there. You'd have more people willing to come. You'd be able to um, – teams like the Galaxy and stuff, you'd be able to afford more because it's more marketable. Um, I, like I said, I'm going to have um, this week in MLS, Eli Lesser, he's going to be coming on this week. I'm going to discuss the same thing with him and where his thoughts are on that. Because if you had a relegation stuff, like people don't understand, you know, the playoffs and stuff, even Zlatan Ibrahimovic has ripped playoffs and everything when he was here. One of the reasons yeah. why I went back to Milan, he didn't retire with the LA Galaxy, even though he was tearing up the league. Yeah. Um, guys like Carlos Vela wouldn't be running the league. You'd have other guys running the league. You know, exactly. Inter Miami's coming. The U.S. still is on the rise of places guys want to go. Not in the prime of their career, obviously, but Gareth Bale's talked about how it's even more intriguing to come over here and stuff like that. So I think all signs are pointing forward to the beautiful game growing in the U.S. And also, like I said, 2026 is lined up for all these guys to be in their prime, you know, if they can all hit their potential, which they all won't. But we'll be able to find other players that I think can fill in very fine. But, you know – there's been great. I mean, Tim Howard is obviously great. I think he's a legendary goalkeeper. Tim Howard's on his own level, but you know, yep. Zach Steffen's a very good young goalkeeper. Um, Dest yep. is great. Um, mm-hmm. You can name Clint Dempsey. You can name Landon Donovan. Michael Bradley's always been an average American, but 
Oh God! Don't get me started on Michael Bradley right now, man. I think um, I, I, but like he's still been one of the more consistent, even though he's consistently bad, consistent, yep. <laughs> uh, consistent Americans in that team. So you're gonna be looking at guys like McKenney, who's already better than Pulisic, who's already uh, just better player. Alejandro Bedoya, even though he doesn't play overseas, still a solid player. Darlington Nagbe, still a solid, like solid players. I, but you know they're not gonna be in their primes by then. But I still think a lot of these young kids have so much room to grow and not only that i think the big thing is dest had the option to play for the dutch national team giovanni reina had the option to play for the italian national team they chose to play for the u.s because they you know they where they grew up and how long they played there for and i think that also speaks volumes to how much the game has not only grown here in terms of location wise but in terms of how much the game has grown in terms of player kids coming up and players having a passion to play for the united states and how much we're growing in terms of ability-wise. Yeah, I agree with you. So, BPL's back June 12th. You think you guys have a shot at um, sneaking into the Champions League? You think you guys are going to seal down that fourth spot? Well, right now we're in fifth. Uh, Sheffield is two points behind us. We, they have a game in hand on us. Um, you know, but Which is crazy to say. You kind of got to – It's weird to say like, out loud. Like, who would have thought that would have happened? Like, early in the year, we were losing to Sheffield, I think, 3 nothing, Or 2 nothing. I think it was either 3 nothing or 2 nothing, And we scored three goals and we came back, but we ended up tying. Yeah. We were down 2 nothing. We scored three goals. So like To one of the best defensive sides in the league. When it was yeah. a meme back then, it's not a meme now. No. Yeah, but, like, you know, Sheffield, like, good, good for them. And, you know, it's nice to see these teams that you never think that, you know, a lot of teams that come up from the championship, they struggle. And Sheffield just burst on the scene. You know, we've seen that lately with the Wolves as well. They've been they've been consistently good for the last couple two years now. So I think it's good for the game. I love competitiveness, obviously. But um, for us, you know, that that ban for Man City stays, then I think we absolutely have a chance. You know, and then yeah, Chelsea, that, that, Chelsea that, that, are a little bit inconsistent right now. They haven't really caught form. Well, obviously no one's playing right now, but I feel like with them – they're so inconsistent, and right now we're been on a hot streak. I think we're 11 unbeaten right now, so if we can keep that up. I know it's going to be hard despite us, you know, being cold for a month and a half, two months right now. But, but. The, the good news with that is, is that you're not the only team suffering from that. Every single Very team true. is suffering from that same fate. So, like, Klopp's already come out and, and said it, you know, um, we don't have to play top-of-the-world football because no one else is going to be playing top-of-the-world football, football either. We just need to play the best football that we can play. So well, as long as you guys are already going to win, so I mean, but you know what Klopp is. I mean, like, yeah, he's he's an outstanding he's an outstanding manager. We have an outstanding core of players. No players going to go out there half assing it. At least not at that club. Um, yeah, you guys have a good foundation and like chemistry. You guys are all you, they all all your players want to win. You know, you guys. I was you know going over wages with uh, a couple of my friends, and we were kind of astonished about how the difference of how much Man United players get paid compared to Liverpool players. And you guys seem like you guys want to play more. You guys are more dedicated, I feel like. And you guys are just a better team. You look at Man United, I think De Gea is on, what was it, like t- maybe 275 a week, 300 a week, and Alisson's on like, on like 95. Like it's just like some crazy numbers like that, even like with Mane. You look at Alexis, you know, we're paying Alexis a crap, crap load, so – yeah, for me, and, and for me, that's why it still is incredibly frustrating. I can't tell you how many times on Twitter I see toxic Liverpool fans still saying FSG out, FSG out. Oh, they're not going to buy so-and-so. They're not going to buy so-and-so. I, obviously, I come from different 
I come from a different, you know, bias because I've watched them uh, run the Red Sox, get, get them four worlds, uh, four world series rings. So I have a totally different bias, but, and now they've won the champions league with Liverpool. Once they brought Klopp in, um, there's been nothing but success for them. They're thinking about buying Rangers too, which for me would be huge if they bought Rangers. Cause think of that. We have a, our own professional like youth squad. We could just loan out all our players to Rangers. Gerard would coach him up. Oh, by the way, when Klopp leaves, then we can just bring Gerard from Rangers. So yeah, that's, that's, I, I, that's, that's I, the big rumor right now, but I think Klopp signed what, like a five-year extension. He's Klopp's going to be here for a while. Uh, I don't yeah. know how long Gerard plans stay on staying at Rangers. Yeah. But, you know, if FSG buys him and, you know, dishes him out a little more cash, the manager, and wait until, you know, give him all this experience, work under Klopp, you know, get tips from Klopp, work with him in the offseason, do the training camps together and stuff because it's close enough. Yeah. Um, I think that'd be really good. And obviously it'd be good for the growth of players. Say like a Pedro Curiabella or Har- Harvey, Harvey Elliott, all these young guys are not going to see a lot of first team time for a while. Like, let them go play over there. They're going to see a lot of first team time there. They're really going to grow. And if you want to sell them for the value you're going to get for them, or if you want to slide them into the first team, they're going to be ready to go when you call on. Yeah. I think that's one of the huge things. And I think that's why management is so good. I think people, they want to say the piece about Red Sox ownership, owning the Herald, everything like that, the political side of it, what they do, what they say, what their actions speak to, letting go of Don Arcello, stuff like that. But at the end of the day, they're incredibly good businessmen. You know, they screwed up the John Lester negotiation. I'm like, like I said, this, the, everything they have, they've done hasn't been a positive. But for the majority, I know that they are very successful as yep. not only businessmen, but very successful as ownership of sports clubs. And I think everything they've done, they, you know, shows that. So I don't want to just continue to show blind faith. But every time that I seem to question them, um, it, it seems to come back and bite me because and, – and, and gladfully and thankfully so – um, they, they proved me wrong and I will, and I will take it you now every day of the week and, and twice on Sunday FSG as the ownership of my sports clubs. Cause it just goes to show you throughout the rest of, you know, no matter what rule changes there are, no matter what, you know, COVID and all this stuff goes through, um, at the end of the day, it's going to be good management and not even the most talented players. I, I was talking to people before, um, Justin, like there's players like Justin Turner and Max Muncy. There's plenty of baseball players, plenty of uh, football players, uh, plenty of American football players that, you know, they don't succeed. Like, a lot of players that don't succeed a lot of times before they come to the Patriots. That's why the Patriots get them on uh, pennies to a dollar. Mm-hmm. And then good management, good coaching, you know, builds them up for, for whatever value they are. It's all about maximizing the value and being able to get the most out of a player and what you're asking them and how mm-hmm. they fit into your system. And I think that, you know, a club like United needs to get that. The ownership needs to get this stuff together because that's – Man United should be – uh, one of the best clubs in the world, if not the best club in the world, you know, every, every single year. Uh, they, they should be competing for se- 70, 70, 70% of decades, for 70% of the time, um, you know, in terms of seven to eight out of 10 years at a time, they should be the best club in the world or top five at least. And, and I expect the same from Liverpool, especially now because of their success, but just because of genuine size in um, England, I think, Liverpool and Man United, the biggest clubs, and there's no arguing that. And I think if you were to look at the top four, I think you'd probably look – I think I consider Man Man City to be one of the the top five biggest clubs um, in England. I'd slide them in at three, right behind Liverpool. You you think they're bigger than Chelsea and Arsenal in terms of fan base in England? Not fan base, but just – In dedication or just like talking about like wealth because Man City has a lot of money. Not wealth. I'm just saying like all around in terms of like the money they have – 
the success they have, the talent yeah. they have, the genuine interest that they have from players, and also just um, the history now that they're starting to build. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people in it's funny how over the pond, the recency bias means nothing. And over here, recency bias means everything. Um, yeah. I guess I'm showing some recency bias, but you can't look at what they've done and not consider them to be a top five club in England strictly off what they've done in the last couple of years. So obviously what I, you had something to say, but what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's funny. Cause like, you know, you watch Man City sometimes on like the weekdays and like no one's there. And I get, I heard tickets are really expensive over there. And like, it's, it's, it's kind of hard for a lot of people that are working to go to games a lot. But like, for me, like biggest, like, yeah, they're the, they're the biggest for the reason that they had, you know, Dubai owners, you know, pumping money in, in them and, you know, give Pep a fortune and they have a great coach, but Pep's had the, all the money in the world to get the best players in the world. No matter what, if he wants a player, he's going to get him. You know, you don't really he, see that. He you signs really see that. on Mendy. Yeah. He, he has made some questionable signings, but, um, you know, but he's still a great manager, one of the best in the world. But like, you know, when I, I went to an Arsenal game and, you know, I've, you know, my buddies that went to the Chelsea game and like, I just feel like their atmospheres are a lot better than what I see at the Etihad. And I've seen a lot of people on Twitter, especially, you know, they'll crown crap on the Etihad. I just think it's some overall fan base too. Like if I'm a player, like, yeah, City's the better team, but I just feel like the, like the fan base kind of for me determines like who's the bigger. Like for me too, that it, it's, it, I get that, but I've been talking about it too with baseball. Like, I went to a baseball playoff game. I went to a Red Sox-Yankees playoff game, paid $165 my ticket, almost like 200 bucks just to get there with the, the train yeah. and the food and everything involved. Mm-hmm. You know, what kid my age is going to be able to afford? What, what, what working-class person is going to be able to throw $200 at something to go to a playoff game? No one. Yeah. So it's a bunch of rich old people. The, the, the environment at the, at the Red Sox-Yankees playoff game, even the year where they won the World Series, was terrible. It was quiet. It was more quiet than uh, an April 17th game I went to between them and the Blue Jays. 2-1, freezing cold. But I'll tell you what, we were out in the right field bleachers right underneath where the grandstand comes down. People were out there drinking, screaming, hollering, having fun, singing Sweet Caroline. You come yeah. around to Fenway in the playoff time, it was not like that. The atmosphere was different. Mm-hmm. I, and, and I've asked, why wouldn't they go to, like, you know, go to Dorchester, go to Southie, and go, all right, we got 1,500 tickets behind the away team dugout. They're 50 bucks for you guys select. Your families, they stay within your family. These sets of season tickets, you have to apply for them. Um, people have to vouch for you. You have to get signatures, basically, uh, as to why your Red Sox dedication. I'm like the biggest Red Sox fans, kind of like the cop end, like how Man United has their the Sir, Sir Alex Ferguson stand, all those people like with their home fans and stuff. Yeah. Why can't baseball and American sports do that? And the same thing with the Etihad. Why wouldn't the Etihad lower their ticket prices to bring more of an app? They obviously have enough money. They obviously have a ton of money, and they're bringing money in from all kinds of different places. Why wouldn't you lower ticket prices to bring more of an atmosphere and add that element to you as opposed to trying to maximize your profits, you know? Yeah. It's tough for the MLB because there's 162 games. Well, there's 81 games at home, 81 games in a home season. So, like, your atmosphere, like, compared to, like, a lot of the teams in the MLB, you know, I think the Red Sox and the Cubs are some of the two two teams that are always – Wrigley Field and Fenway are always packed, always. And, like – yeah, the atmosphere is nice for, like, the big games, like the rivalry games, whether it's, you know, for example, Dodgers, Giants, Red Sox, Yankees. Like, atmospheres like that are essential. But, like, if it's playoffs, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, the the, um, the, the clubs or teams should kind of give an incentive for, you know, fans that are diehards who can't afford it, you know, because, like, I'm a diehard Sox fan too, and I love to go to 
game seven of the World Series if there was at Fenway. But, you know. Yeah, you'd have to sell a vital organ to be able to go to a uh, yeah. go to go to a Red Sox playoff game that late in the season. I mean, the ALDS was enough for me. And then I looked at yeah. the CS tickets, it jumps like $400, $500. And like I said, I relate it's that to exactly with, with Man City. And I'll be interested to see how Newcastle handle it because Newcastle is one of the most historic, one of the biggest clubs in the uh, EPL, too. I'm not going to say the top five, but they're definitely, I think Newcastle is definitely a top, you know, 10, yeah. t- top 10 club in yeah, absolutely. You know, English football history. And now they're going to have, you know, allegedly have this takeover coming in. So we'll see how that goes and we'll see how they handle it. And if it's similar to Man City and if they have similar success to Man City. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it adds an element. I think it's impressive. But then you got to look at a side like Sheffield. It doesn't matter how much money you're bringing in. If you don't have good management, and it goes through all sports, if you don't have good ownership, you don't have good management, it's not going to make the difference. If the right people up top aren't the right places being able to coach, being able to get the most out of players, understanding analytics, understanding scouting, if you don't have the best of the best in those areas, you're never going to be able to pull in the best of the best in terms of players. You might get one or two, but they're not going to gel. They're not going to do certain things right for you. You need to be able to, from the top down, be able to look yourself in the mirror and know that you are the best. It doesn't matter how much money you have. The money can buy those best people, but you need to be able to evaluate the sense of what is worth spending this much money on. Mm-hmm. And I don't think a lot of people understand it. I think that they just understand, oh, we have money or, you know, we're the Yankees or whatever. Listen, the Yankees are going to have the best scouting, the best this, the best that, because they can, not only because they can afford it, but because they have to go after it. You can have, you can throw money at a, at a lot of problems in life outside of, you know, sports and stuff like that. It's not going to change anything the same way. You need to be able to look at something and, and approach it from you know, a fundamental and analytical um, standpoint, break it down, and, and, and build upon it. Yeah, that's, that's why kind of going to the NFL, I'm a little worried about Joe Burrow, you know, because, like, Joe Burrow, great college football player, one of the best. He had one of the best seasons we've ever seen. And he's playing for the Bengals organization, probably one of the poorest organizations in the NFL. They have some of the worst scouts, and they really don't like to pay players that they deserve. So, I'm I'm kind of nervous for him to see how he's how he's going to kind of adapt in that role where he's not going to be able to maybe not get those great players right away. It might take him a long time to get those players because they really aren't good at drafting players. I don't I really can't name five great players in the Bengals in the last five years that really you know burst on the scene. Coaching has been horrible. Everything around the Bengals is so poor. I'm just afraid for Joe Burrow to uh, fail. Yeah, and, and, kind and of going back to what you were saying. Yeah, and, it, and it's and it's and it's going to hurt for Joe Burrow to adjust. And a guy like Tua Tagovailoa, too, as far as we know, Brian Flores, it's going to be very positive for him. Uh, Jarrett Stidham in his second year, um, it's going to be positive for him as well. It's been positive for Josh Allen because Sean McDermott's a very serviceable head coach and has a very good system there. You know, he may have struggled at first, but they didn't waver. You know, they stuck to their system. They had faith in it. They approached it. They built upon it. They they. I think what's impressive with them is you have to build a winning culture first before you can start, you know, building, you know, players and everything like that and building up, you know, money and different things. You need to have a culture set in place, no matter what sport it is, you need to have a culture set in place that players can get behind players want to want to be in, because at that point you're going to have to overpay for players. You're going to have to give them more money, more signing bonus. You're going to have to do certain things like that to be able to make them want to play there. And I think that's what happened with United. United bring in Pogba, right? He's getting overpaid. Nobody wants to pay Pogba's wages. If Pog, but if they could, but if you know, they could build that place into a, a, a. If they could build United into a place where he can succeed, that he's willing to pay that value for Pogba and his wages because he's performing up to his, you know, his max potential. But I really like Ole, but who's to say that it's Ole's fault? Like I said, like I've been saying for a long time, I don't personally believe 
it's all on Ollie. I think a lot of the sporting directors and a lot of everybody around them need to step yeah. up their game too because you bring in a guy like, you know, Daniel James for $60 million. I mean, I think that's overpaying for him. It's to see what he's done now. I think he's just a lot of – I think he could have, you know, a future, but, you know, I think that yeah. still might have been overpaying for him. There's a lot of surrounding factors more than just a coach. It goes from the top down that really go into the functionality of a club. I think Arsenal are seeing it since Wenger left too. I think that's a big, uh, big, a big gap in skill happened there. Um, I think Chelsea are going through it since Conte's left. Mm-hmm. You know, so like I said it'd be interesting to see what Newcastle do. I hope, I, and as a Liverpool fan, I hope United does it. In all honesty, because like it, I've compared it to Liverpool and New York in the past. It's just English football, world football is better when those two clubs are better. Just like baseball is better when the Yankees and Red Sox are, be, uh, are beating each other's brains in. All right, fair enough. Um, that is all we have time for on the Rupert's Rundown. I want to say thank you again to Andrew for joining me. And again, apolo- you, uh, apologize for the last time uh, where the file got all messed up and everything, but I'm glad we got this one in. And obviously, you know, with the Bundesliga being back, I wanted to bring you on and talk soccer. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm really happy live sports are back in general. So, you know, a little more content to go off of this time too. And I think this one went a lot smoother with the Zoom and everything too. It just looks a lot cleaner for me personally. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm excited to be able to edit this, get this together and uh, post out the content bright early Monday morning, you check your podcast inbox on Apple, Spotify, whatever it may be, uh, Anchor. I'll have it up on YouTube, little video uh, pieces going out on Twitter too. So be sure to like and subscribe, all that good stuff. But uh, for Andrew DeMello, myself, peace out, guys. Peace out.